0: Welcome to the Health Technical Learning Lab podcast, the HTLL podcast for short. We are your co-hosts, Emily Hirata, technical advisor for health and nutrition,
1: and Tino Muvuti, technical advisor for WASH.
0: And to assist in the efforts of the Adra Health Technical Learning Lab, which exists to facilitate and share technical learning about health, nutrition and WASH across the entire Adra network, We've decided to start a podcast to further this vision.
1: In each episode, we're going to spend a few minutes talking to experts in health, nutrition, and WASH to find out how they are approaching challenges in the international development and humanitarian sector. We're interested in learning about the innovations and solutions in health, nutrition, water, sanitation, and hygiene that are making a difference in the lives of millions of people around the world.
0: And now to today's episode. Today, we will be discussing social and behavior change, otherwise known as SBC. With us, we have Jason Brooks, Senior Technical Advisor for Water, Sanitation, and Hygiene at the ADRA International Office who has become rather familiar with SBC and is working to implement it in the projects he is involved with. Jason, welcome.
2: Thanks so much.
1: Jason, we wanted to take a few minutes today to ask you a few questions on the topic of SBC. As someone who has become rather familiar with SBC, how would you explain SBC in simple terms to
2: someone who may
1: not be familiar with it?
2: Okay, so first of all, before I get into a simple definition, let me say that social and behavior change, or what used to be called social behavior change communication, is a big umbrella. It encompasses insights from a lot of disciplines and areas of social science and economics. And there are lots of different approaches that apply a very similar set of principles, but I think we can boil it down Um, In this way that I've often seen cited. Um, SBC is understood as a process involving individuals, communities or societies that enables them to adopt and sustain positive behaviors. It does so by identifying the various factors that influence people's behavior and addressing these by using those approaches that are most likely to be effective. So, To break it down even further, I would say that SBC is the process of understanding what motivates people and what gets in the way of people making positive behavior change. And it really is intentional in the sense of making a plan based on that information to put that knowledge to work um, in our programs. Because every project that has an objective has something that we need people to do some behavior they need to uh, participate in even if it's coming to a distribution site um, all the way up to something as complex as getting people to adopt new health behavior so it's very much part and parcel of um, humanitarian assistance we hear a lot of talk
1: about awareness raising in our line of work From what you've explained, how would SBC differ from awareness raising?
2: It's very different. And this is probably the most important thing that you could take away um, from this discussion today, is that social behavior change and awareness raising are very, very different. And the reason is that someone can be aware of something and still not do it. Um, they can have all the knowledge on a topic, on a practice, on a behavior, and still not carry it out, let alone carrying it out consistently and correctly. You know, and there are a lot of examples of this, but, and I'm sure that we can probably all think of one, but a good example of this in the U.S. is the use of car safety belts. When auto manufacturers began putting Um, you know, installing seatbelts in new cars in the U.S. The fact is very few people use them. When I was young, we didn't use them at all, even though at that point it was mandatory for all new cars to have them. And I remember public safety campaigns that touted the safety benefits of seatbelts as a child. I remember seeing them on TV and I didn't know anyone who used one. Um, The typical assumption in development work is that people don't do something because they don't know what they should do or they don't know how to do it. So, you know, what what do we do to make this connection? We tell people to wash their hands for, you know, to have better health and we tell them how to do it. Now, both of these points are important. You know, information and knowledge are foundational for behavior, particularly if you want people to do something in a specific way. But let's be clear on two things. There are many things we know we should do and even how to do them, but we still don't do it. And, you know, for example, I know I need to exercise. I know how to exercise and I still don't do it. The issue with my lack of, you know, performing that behavior is not a lack of understanding or or knowledge, you know, and on the other hand, um, there are a lot of things that I do that I've never been instructed in. Uh, I learned them not from a seminar or for a flyer, You know, I adopted those behaviors because of the environment I was in, and I maintained them because the environment supported or even demanded those behaviors. And uh, one of the fundamentals or or approaches, social science foundations of SBC is called social ecological theory. And, you know, to simplify it, it, just means that, you know, there are a lot of factors around us that determine what we will do and whether or not we would be willing to change a behavior and this environment you know including the people around us and their expectations is extremely powerful and and these determinants of our behavior are actually more powerful than what we know and and they reside at a deep level you know where of feeling you know to change those things is really difficult it's almost impossible so it's very important to take these, these norms and this environment that people live in and to take into account and even better to work with it, to produce, you know, you know, to introduce a new practice or, or to work on a challenging behavior, you know, and, um, you know, thinking back to this example of, of the, the seatbelts, um, you know, when it became a social norm, you know, people would look at you today and say, what kind of person wouldn't choose to wear a seatbelt? But there were a lot of factors involved with getting to that point, making seatbelts easier to use, more comfortable. In fact, making them mandatory in the United States. And eventually there was a tipping point where the social norm changed. And instead of people saying, why would you wear a seatbelt? People started saying, why wouldn't you? But let me be very, very clear that tipping point did not occur simply because people were instructed that safety belts are a good idea or how to put one on it was a whole lot of factors coming together you could say the same thing about changes in um the behavior that the use of tobacco smoking in in america it took a lot of changes you know that that struck deep at the heart of the behavior before people started to change, even though awareness of how bad smoking was for your health has been around for a long, long time, in fact, is printed on every carton of cigarettes. And that's the difference between awareness and social behavior change. Creating awareness is a good first step, you do need some knowledge before you can practice a behavior, particularly correctly. But the fact is, knowledge doesn't change people's minds. Um, it doesn't necessarily change people's behavior. You can know the right thing to do and still not do it because it really has not become part of your habit. It's not part of the social norm of your community. You're lacking key elements around you to practice it effectively and effectively and, and make it um, a habitual behavior. And that's the difference between awareness, just knowing what you should do, and actually seeing sub- sustained changes in behavior.
0: So would you say that it's almost about like specifically addressing the enablers and the the barriers to, to these behaviors rather than, I mean, as you said, awareness is a step, many times a first step, but that's, second step is more about addressing what allows that behavior to happen or what doesn't allow it to happen. Is that like another way to put it?
2: Yeah, so so we talk about determinants, which you might think of as motivations. Um, and we talk about barriers. And a barrier is anything that gets in the way of a positive change. And a barrier can be anything from, you know, you want to wash your hands but you don't have soap or you don't have water up and to a barrier could be the fact that someone whose opinion is important to you thinks that washing your hands is stupid. In fact, uh, that, that determinant of social norm is incredibly powerful. It's incredibly powerful. And um, in fact, using um, that influence that other people have in changing behavior is an incredibly important tool that maybe we can talk some more about. That's
0: really interesting, Jason. Um, Yeah, maybe let's circle back around to that in a minute. I do want to take us to a different um, focus for a moment. Um, As a professional working in this space, in this area of SBC, what excites you most about this?
2: I think what excites me in the past um, few years is that social behavior change has gone from being sort of a fringe consideration something that people took as as kind of secondary and optional um, to becoming not just a requirement um, for from donors and uh, but but also something that more and more practitioners are keenly aware of, even if they don't understand the concept, the, the old ideas of build it and they will come, you know, you know, all that you need to do to get people to use a latrine is to build a latrine for them. And that's just simply not true, but let's face it. We do that in many types of, of programs. Um, The idea that you can give people water treatment tablets and a, a couple of basic pieces of information about how to use them and that they will use them consistently and correctly um, is a good example. The fact is, if people are not familiar with the use of, of water treatment tablets, um, in an emergency setting, often the percentage of people who are using them correctly is less than 30%. And, w- and when you think about that, you're giving people a product and you're saying, if you use this, Your water will be safe and you record in your report that now you've, you know, you distributed, you know, 10s of 1000s of these things and now 10s of 1000s of people have safe water, but in reality 30% of people are actually using it safely. And, And even worse, they may have the impression that they're using it correctly and that their water is safe when it's not. So I think that Many, many development workers, many people in the humanitarian space are beginning to understand that whether even if it's emergency, even if it's short term, there is a behavioral element to everything that we do. And in fact, if we don't address it, any progress that might be made is is likely to be lost. Um, So that if we're not planning for social behavior change, then we're not going to see change and you know we may render immediate assistance not as effectively as we could but the fact is long term there may be absolutely no you know lasting benefit
0: i guess that that leads me to my next question and i i already see the answer to this with what you've said is that it's you know is this relevant for adra and other organizations like adra it sounds like it very much is um i is there anything else that you you think SB, any other relevance you think SBC has for ADRA or other organizations like ADRA and if I could take that one step further is there anything about SBC that might not be relevant for ADRA or other organizations like ours?
2: So I, I think I can think of, of um, one negative and I'll start with that first. SBC should not be an end unto itself. You know, I've seen projects do, for example, a barrier analysis and those results never actually make it into practice. Or, you know, we do a lot to understand people's behavior and yet those things are never really integrated into the action plan because sometimes there's a perception that the real work, you know, is the distribution, is the trainings, is the you know these activities that are that are very easy to count and, and the challenge with social behavior change is that number one it is a process uh, it takes time, and also it is a learning process that sometimes we try something and it doesn 't work and I think that can be discouraging to to some people I, I even remember an aid official once telling us that they didn't find it scientific enough. It was too hard to count. Now let me talk about the positive side of it too. In addition to making our activities more effective, um, in addition to, you know, just doing our work better and having more sustainable results because actually behaviors are changed, um, we're not wasting money on providing, you know, latrines that people don't use and hand-washing stations that just, you know, go to waste because the hand-washing behavior was never ingrained or, you know, a number of other things that you can imagine. There's also a really fundamental development concept at play here is that we need to be listening to hearing from and seeking to understand the real, you know, desires of the people that we work with and understanding what motivates people, understanding what their challenges are, understanding what the barriers are to adopting the, the things that we promote is very much about listening and trying to understand and digging into what the real challenges are. You cannot go through a thorough SBC process and not come out with a better understanding of how people live and what their challenges are and what they want. And, and isn't that really what we should be about? We shouldn't be, you know, even if we know that hand-washing, you know, saves lives, that it is the most cost-effective public health intervention in the world. The fact is, just telling people to wash their hands and not taking into consideration their context, not only is it likely to fail. Um, not only are we not likely to see that practice you know become common, but the fact is um, beating people over the head without trying to understand their situation is is just is just disrespectful um, you know it 's really interesting sometimes even when we have a success, we don't know why. And I can give an example. Um, I remember in a project that we were doing in Madagascar, we had this great uptake in tippy taps, which if you're not familiar, a tippy tap is just this sort of handmade little hand-washing device. You know, anyone can make one with a couple of sticks, some twine in an old, you know, bottle and, there was this one area where people were just loving them i mean you you know every household you went to had one by the latrine one by the food prep area and you know we're just celebrating because the initial thought was you know what people have understood that washing your hands makes you healthier and therefore they have placed so much value on this that you know they're you know, they're constructing tippy taps, they're using it consistently, you know, they want their children to use it, you know, it must be that people, um, you know, are motivated by the fact that cleaner hands make for healthier, you know, healthier children. In reality, when we started to ask people about the tippy tap use, yes, they did accept the fact that hand washing was a good idea. They did generally believe that it did lead to better health, but the reason that they were building tippy taps is because having said all of that, it was a great way to save water because they already had the idea that hand washing was a good idea. The reason that people were generally not washing their hands is that they were lacking the facilities in an easy, convenient, inexpensive way. But the number one thing that they were lacking was easy access to water. So if they were going to wash their hands, first of all it required two people, one person to pour water and another, you know, and the other person, you know, washing their hands, rubbing soap between their hands, usually with a basin underneath of them to catch that precious water. Well, that's actually very wasteful of water. You know, a lot of splashes out, you need a lot of water to do it. The beauty of a tippy tap is you pierce the lid of the container with a nail, so it has this small stream of water. And people said, "You know what? We like the tippy taps because you know clean hands is a good thing. But you know what we really love? Um, the fact that it saves so much water because we have to work really hard to get that water, and we value it. So, you know, sometimes we we get the right result, but we don't understand why. And a social behavior change planning process." gets us to ask the hard questions about what motivates people and why is this relevant because when we go to the next community and we start talking about hand washing and promoting the construction of tippy taps what are we going to do we're going to take the observations from those other communities we're going to bring a community member with us and they'll talk about their motivations and instead of talking about how tippy taps are cheap or how tippy taps are easy to build which are also true, they can focus on that really key motivation that we discovered through our social behavior change process, which is that what made tippy-tap construction attractive was that it saved water. And you know what? The result of that, and also by, by validating the value that people put on that and their motivation, is that people actually took their own initiative to share the information with other communities and we would be entering into communities and they had these fabulous new designs of tippy taps that they'd come up with not because the project was promoting them but because the people in the next community had already told them you know what a great device this was not emphasizing all the other things that the project might have but you know what this also really saves water which was a very appealing message to people, you know, and, and I think that's just good development practice. But the fact is, we've gotten away from listening to people, because we already think we know what best practice is. And while we may know that handwashing is best practice, there are a 1000 ways to promote handwashing based on people's existing motivations and values that we haven't discovered yet.
1: That's really interesting, Jason. I've taken away two things, that SPC takes time, and that it will only be effective if we actually listen to the people we're working to help. Their motivations, their challenges, everything. And that's just a nose to self and a great word of advice to other people who are listening. As we mentioned at the top of the episode, you Jason have been involved in quite a lot of sbc programming over the years involving different groups of people in different parts of the world and i'd be interested to find out what your favorite sbc success story is
2: you know i can think of several and and they all are a variation of of this of the example i've just given but but maybe maybe one of my favorite things is when we find that the existing habits and motivations of people can be appealed to, um, you know, to introduce a new behavior. And I, and I will give you an example, and I'm not going to be specific about a country or about a place here, but um, you know, in, in many cultures, um, hand-washing already plays an extremely important role Um, and it largely centers around preparation for religious practices so many practicants of of different religions would never consider praying for example without washing their hands you know at the same time uh, we may have situations where we're trying to promote hand washing before eating and because people do not have that habit um that it's really not part of the culture and i think that rather than trying to introduce something that may seem foreign to people or or completely different or or hard to achieve you know after we've done the work to understand um what people's motivations are and what their barriers are is to relate the new behavior to something they're already doing. And I'll just give you an example is, you know, if people would not think of showing disrespect to God, for example, by not washing their hands before they pray, I have seen very successful campaigns with relief with using that concept of respect. Um, before eating. Because often in in many cultures, people eat out of a common bowl. Um, there may be family members there, but not only family members, uh, friends, neighbors, elders. And to be able to, to work with that existing value of respect that is associated with hand washing and say, you know what, isn't it a respectful thing to do to wash your hands before you put it in the common bowl out of respect for the people that are also gathered here. You wouldn't pray without washing your hands. Don't eat without washing your hands because it's a way to show respect for the people that you're sharing the bowl with. And, you know, I think that this element of of finding current practices that are a gateway or a facilitator to get um uptake in in something that's not as familiar is a really really key thing the second thing is to use influencers so you know when a when a shoe company wants to introduce a new athletic shoe They don't go and knock on every door and show the people, the family, hey, here's a shoe. Isn't it great? Won't it be fantastic? Let me list you all the ways that this shoe is better. What they do is they go out and find a sports celebrity. They do a, you know, TV commercial or a promotion that shows that celebrity wearing this shoe, you know, dunking a basketball, you know, or kicking a goal. And the reason is because that person is influential. And we do a lot of things because the people whose opinion we care about matters to us or because we are motivated to be like the person who does it. That's the reason why people will line up around the block to buy that pair of shoes. Not really because they think they'll be able to dunk a basketball like that NBA star, but because somehow they see that as positive because it's associated with someone whose opinion they care about or who they respect. And this is extremely, extremely key part of social behavior change is when we enter into a community is find out who influencers are and work with them to be early adopters because their promotion of what we want to do is many, 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 many times more powerful than anything that we can say as outsiders and every community has people of influence they could be religious leaders traditional leaders you know you name it but the fact is we spend 99 percent of our time working with people on an individual basis who may or may not um you know naturally take up these activities and become adopters when in fact if we would take the time to work with influential early adopters we can almost then walk away and let the process play out as that behavior becomes a social norm because people whose opinion that they care about are already doing it and setting a good example so you know we need to be on the lookout for positive behaviors and we need to look be on the lookout for positive influencers rather than assuming there's just, there's just nobody doing this, there's nobody ready to do this, invest the time to understand the community and to identify the people who are already there and ready to lead positive change. And they can do a much more impactful work uh, that has much more sustainability. And, and I think those are really lessons that I've internalized um, over the years that, You know, complicated plans to change people's behavior can devolve into an academic exercise. The fact is, we need to understand what motivates people, and we need to understand who is likely to be able to influence them. And then we need to look for positive examples and entry points that are already there. And, you know, that's just good development work.
1: Jason, we want to thank you so much for taking your time to speak with us today. We have learned so much. I'm sure anybody listening has learned a lot. We appreciate you sharing your expertise and
2: knowledge with us. Thanks, Jason. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it.
0: And for those of you who are listening, if you would like to learn more about SBC or other topics regarding health, nutrition and WASH, Feel free to contact the Health Technical Learning Lab at healthtll at ADRA.org. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-T-L-L at ADRA.org. To listen to this episode again, please visit the podcast folder on the TLL eNet site. With that, I'm Emily. And I'm Tino. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another episode on the HTLL podcast.